Thanks for joining Hollow Moon. I'm your host, Ramona Pina, known in Yang. Today, my guest is Mike Costa. He's a Cape Verdean screenwriter. After successful stints with NBC in research and ABC in broadcast operations and engineering, Mike was accepted into the Guy Alexander Hanks slash Marvin Miller screenwriting program sponsored by the USC School of Cinema Television. Subsequently, Mike was hired as a staff writer and story editor for the hit television show, Roseanne. He went on to write for Warner Brothers Television on several projects, a pilot show for Sony Television and NBC. He wrote monologue sketches, promos, and produced segments for um, Roseanne throughout her career as well. He stays busy developing and writing projects for various producers and freelances as a writer slash producer for Isis Films, which is a production team in Marina Del Rey that produces music videos and commercials for some of the industry's biggest names like Time Warner Corporation, Miller Brewing Company, Motown, and General Motors. As one of the founding members of a nonprofit, uh, 501c3, Cape Verdeans of Southern California, he's held various board positions over the years. Uh, Mike was also inspired to write and complete his first fiction novel called The Heart of Sal Felipe. It has strong Cape Verdean themes and he hopes to have it published by the fall of 2021 or maybe early 2022. He also wrote, produced, and directed a documentary film that we'll mostly be speaking about as well as other films and, and movies that feature Afrofuturistic themes. Um, but this documentary is called Proud to be a Cape Verdean a look at Cape Verdeans in the Golden State. And through his production company, Side Door Entertainment, it has been seen around the globe. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's explore. In this episode, I hope to really keep with the theme of Afrofuturism and talk about uh, a documentary that he made about Cape Verdean culture. So um, before we jump into that, can you tell me what you think about like, what's your thought, or how do you define Afrofuturism? Well, okay, Afrofuturism, I, I, you know, I guess it is the concept of storylines and literature and culture um, in an Afrocentric way in the future. So, for in my case, it would be like a story, mm-hmm. some some story, but it would take place in the future, but it would be Afrocentric. I'm not sure if that limits it to sci-fi or just future. Yeah, no, that no, that that doesn't have to be limited to sci-fi. It's just in the future, and I realized too because I was thinking so far ahead. It doesn't have to be like thousands of years from now. Like think about when we were kids and how the world was as we knew it, and then how the world is now in our in our own lifetime. And the technology has advanced in ways that you couldn't even right. have imagined. So it doesn't have to be that far from now. It could be twenty years and. Who knows what that could be like, right? Right. There's a couple of, uh, there's one show I got hooked on um, while I was on, uh, you know, this whole pandemic. Uh, Have you seen Black Mirror? I have seen some shows, some episodes. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of uh, Afrocentric episodes, Striking Vipers. I loved it. Um, The Two Gamers. And do you yeah. remember that episode? Yeah, I do remember that episode where they started off, they were like on the treadmill. No, this was the two college buddies and you show them, you know, they, they're gamers. And then you see 10 years later, one of them's married, the other one's still out doing stuff. But then 
then he says, hey, man, and he invited him to his birthday party. And he says, here, take, take this thing. It's virtual. It's a virtual game. But and we both get to play, you know, where I'm at, you're at. But it's going to seem like it's so real. And then when they get in there, it would be like, hey, there you are. And it's like real. And his avatar was a woman and the other guy's avatar was a man. And then they become sexually attracted to each other in, in, in virtual space. Even though they're heterosexual. And that was with the episode, you never know where you're going to find true love. <laughs> but not in real life, just in the cyber space. Um, yeah. And, and Anthony Mackie was in that episode. That's a good example. I loved I got hooked on that. I, I binged the whole thing within a week. All every episode was good. Every single one I thought was great. Yeah. Yeah, he's in a lot of sci-fi movies actually. Like um I'm not sure if you've seen his Netflix. No. He I I I I'm it's on my list cuz there's so many things out there now to watch. There's so much content. I was saying Anthony Mackie is also in a um sci-fi movie on Netflix called Altered Carbon. So, he's really getting a lot of those roles, but that's another Great example. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but that's another great example of, um, you know, Afrofuturism and having featuring somebody of African or you know African diaspora, you know, descent or what have you. Right, right. I've heard of it. Yes, I have heard of that, and I'm going to get to it. <laughs> Perfect. And then, so I want you to let people, let our listeners know because that's the thing with this podcast and why I wanted to bring you on. Let them know. Can you explain to them a little bit what Cape Verdean culture is? Okay. So Cape Verdean culture is, first of all, so let me, let me give you a little geography, a little history lesson. So the uh, Cape Verde Islands are off the west. It's an archipelago off the west coast of Africa. If you were to look on the map and you see Senegal, it's about 300 miles west of Senegal. And it's... Uh, nine, 10 islands, nine are inhabited. And, um, you know, my, my family, you know, I, it's changed now in my generation, but my grandparents, um, my paternal grandparents came from Sant Anton and my maternal came from Fogo. My maternal grandfather came from Fogo. So, and what it is, is Cape Verdeans are Afro-Portuguese. Because we, we are, we're a byproduct of, uh, well, the Portuguese, you know, they, they were pretty much real big slavers back in the 16, 1700s. And, you know, Cape Verde Islands was a way station, you know, when they abducted and kidnapped and enslaved, you know, millions of, of uh, Africans. And, and then it was, you know, then, then you have on Cape Verde is, is a result of um, Portuguese and Africans, you know, uh, procreating. And, 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 and that's what, you know, and now I'd say, but see, so, so Cape Verde got their independence in 1975. So now they're an independent country. Before then, they were part of Portugal. But, you know, a port, port, like I said, Portugal is, is basically their oppressor, though. And uh, it's, it's really weird. During, during the um, pandemic, I tried to I took a couple of Criollo. Criollo is the indigenous language. And basically, it's an offshoot of Portuguese, but it's African and Portuguese. But um, 
wouldn't you know, on nine islands, there's nine different dialects of Criollo. So because of that, um, Cape Verde has made Portuguese their um, national language, which I have a little bit of a problem with that because they've, they, you know, I think like so many other countries that uh, will colonize, they, they've taken on the language of their oppressor. But mm-hmm. um, Cape Verde... Cape Verde is now, when you go over there, they're very Afrocentric, you know, even though, like I said, it's, you got European side and you got the African side. They're very Afrocentric, no question about it. Um, It's a wonderful place you should visit. Uh, It's a big tourist attraction for Europeans. Tons of Europeans go there, especially Sal and Bovista and Sa Vicente. Those are really, those are three big uh, resort islands so to speak um for a lot of the europeans but one of the problems are they have um all-inclusive which i don't know the government i think they messed up on that a little bit because when you're all-inclusive you you go you go to the uh, resort but you don't you know really experience the culture you're not out you don't go out uh into the real cape verdean world you're, you're in this little bubble of the resort and that's something I'm, I know it's starting to change, but they have a lot of those places like that in Cape Verde. So. Oh, wow. I wasn't that, even aware that they had mm-hmm. resorts like that. Yeah, there's a, there is on Bovista, on Sal. Yep. And, but it's a beautiful place. It's wonderful. You should really go there. And if you can find a relative, that's even better. You know, and I've got relatives over there. My father, my father kept in touch with all his relatives. And so, you know, now I still keep in touch with them, and I've been there. And I was gonna go; I was getting ready to go this year, but I'm holding off a little bit. I'm waiting for everything to just kind of calm down with the pandemic. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And Cape Verde just recently, like the U.S., our our independence is Fourth of July, and Cape Verde yep. independence is the Fifth of July. So, yes, you know, it is. Even Cape Verde. Verde. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hung my flag out yesterday. Nice. <laughs> Two days ago. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, oh, I, I don't think I had a chance to say this before because we were having a little bit of technical difficulties, but in the signature of Mike's uh, email, it says, if we don't tell our story, then who will? And I feel like everything that he's explaining about Cape Verdean culture and how he created this documentary about it is embodying, embodying that concept of Afrofuturism, but in a, a more specific way and focusing on that culture, like really showing and showcasing Cape Verdean culture so that you you preserve that and it remains relevant. But I would like to see see it more well known in in pop culture, maybe seeing like the food and some type of show or hear the music more often. Um, what would you say? Like, how would you like to see it in the future? Yeah, you know what? I'd love to see it in the future. And you know what? And, and what has happened with uh, what, what has happened, though, see, when our grandparents came over, they came over right from Cape Verde, and then they tend, just like the Greeks, just like the Italians, just like the Jewish people, they, they tend to clump together. Mm. You know, and, you know, they did where I grew up. So I grew up in southeastern Mass, and I was born in Taunton, and that's basically the edge of the Cape. But all up in um, New England, which would mostly be Rhode Island and Massachusetts, then Connecticut, you have a big Cape Verdean um, bunch of people there, and that's where they all migrated. 
And and basically what it was like was if a guy from Fogo ended up in Freetown, then all the other Fogo people ended up in Freetown. Mm -hmm. If a guy from Sunny Cloud, I remember all the people in Bridgeport, Connecticut, I went to show my film and 90% of those people were from Sunny Cloud. And I thought that was interesting. And it was because some guy, you know, 80 years ago, he showed up and then his cousin came and then all the Sunny Cloud people started coming to Cape Verde. Um, so in the future, you know what, that this is a, 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 a something that, you know, me and my peers, we've, we've addressed and we're not sure how we're going to solve this because it's like it's watered down. The cultures in America right now is a little bit watered down mm -hmm. because as we get, I don't know, there's me, then there's my kids. We're not stuck in Southeastern Mass anymore. The world's become a smaller place where you can go wherever you want. So you, you're, you're not necessarily going to marry another Cape Verdean. So you experience other cultures. And then a lot of Cape Verdeans, because you got a European and an African side, I've, I've seen it happen a lot of times where, um, they, in my generation, they, they, they'll assimilate with other cultures. Because, like, you know, we're African-American, but our tribe is Cape Verde. But then some folks will just that Cape Verdean part of them will just disappear and get up, absolved into the Afri African American community, mm -hmm. and it, it's no it's no one's fault because if you if you look at the African American community as a whole, you could ask somebody where's your great grandfather from, and they can't if they're if they're a descendant of a slave, mm -hmm. somebody who was kidnapped, they're not going to say, hey, uh, I'm 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 from the Watusi tribe. And I know where my grandfather was born. Uh, I'm from Senegal. I'm from Mozambique. Mm -hmm. They can't do that like like Cape Verdeans. Like I can go to my grandfather's and grandmother's house where they were born. And even my even my maternal, I did some research on my maternal uh, grandfather, Francisco Pina. Mm -hmm. And I know on Fogo, if I go to Fogo and did some digging, I know I'll, I'll find somebody. Mm -hmm. I know that I could find somebody versus... You know, your your most African Americans, almost everybody I know who's African, they couldn't tell you that. They could tell you about their grandmother, you know, who who was from the South or who you know used to be from the South. But of course, they had a big migration push to the North, but they can't go back like that. So, I'd say with Cape Verdeans in the future, I'd love to be able to see us be more united, like where you have where you you have your identity as I'm. African American and my tribe is Cape Cape Verdean, mm. you know, which is, which is now it's Cabo Verde. It actually a couple of years ago they switched it from Cape because the Portuguese named Cape Verde Islands Cape Verde, but of course we know it's not a Cape. Yeah, they're island, right? That's just a <laughs> so they they've now it's officially called Cabo Cabo Verde. Okay, because it just makes no sense whatsoever to call it a cape that was something that the portuguese um gave them that name they didn't and they didn't give him any support that's why emil cabral emil emilka cabral he is our martin luther king he fought for our freedom and actually he was he he had got murdered the year before but it was 1975 is when cape verde um got its independence from portugal so i, I hope i hope you know, even with this all this technology, but see, one thing about the technology, you can get recipes online. I took some Criollo lessons mm -hmm. online. 
Uh, you can talk to, I can talk to somebody in Cape Verde, poof, just call them up and as long as they got a half a signal. Um, so that's something that's, that's, that's actually improved. But like I said, you have to, the, the, the big block is we, like our kids and they tend to assimilate unless, unless, unless Cape Verde is the dominant culture in your household, like my wife is not Cape Verdean, but it is the dominant then, then your kids or your they're going to naturally assimilate. And I mean, even even Caucasian people is the same way. You could go over Joseph Smith House and say, "What are you French? You English?" What? And, and you know they're going to have to think about it. And then you know, and maybe they can or can't tell you where they come from. But we we tend to assimilate to our surroundings, and that's uh, and Cape Verdeans are already a small dynamic. So, you know, it's just one of those things that we have to just be vigilant and just keep going. No, so, yeah, I like what you touched upon. Now, that makes sense, but something you said earlier is like, you know, the world is changing where, you know, you just went online and took some Criollo lessons or you can find some recipes there or, you know, essentially FaceTime, Skype, or what have you with someone all the way in Cabo Verde now. So maybe that's the new wave of the future. Maybe technology is going to be the way or the link to really build that community back up. And maybe that's the futuristic element to it. Like, um, I was looking at your, I was watching your video, and there's a lot of different organizations. There's three different organizations in yeah. California um, for Cape Verdean groups. And I was wondering if there were any East Coast groups. But again, what the pandemic has kind of highlighted is that you don't have to be in the same physical location to come together. So maybe they can be like a virtual collective, possibly, that links. East Coast, West Coast, and any other, you know, section throughout the United States with Cape, the Cape Verdean community so that, because I feel like maybe that's what the newer generation, maybe that's the way to connect to them and they can link up in a way that that makes makes the connection more tangible. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, you know, there are, there are I've seen, I've seen groups try to do that and they're trying to unify and they're trying to get that together because you do have you have people that are proud to be Cape Verdean because, you know, that's your culture. You know, I, I identify as being Cape Verdean and uh, they, they, they have, they have groups in Taunton. They have them in New Bedford. There's one in Falmouth, uh, Connecticut. There's a, there's a lot of them on the East coast in, in that new England area. And um, you know, where they, where they're striving to keep, keep the, you know, perpetuate the, the, the culture into the future. Because we're such a small, we're a small demographic. Actually, there's more Cape Verdeans. There's about a half a million Cape Verdeans live in Cape Verde, but there's more Cape Verdeans uh, um, in the diaspora. Because you got you got communities. There's there's one in Argentina. There's one in Holland. There's one in Paris. Oh, they're they're all over the world. Um, you know, and, and like I said, they tend to clump together. You know, when I when I moved to Los Angeles, we started the Cape Verdeans in Southern California. So basically, I I kind of got a bead on every Cape Verdean soul in California, and then and that's what inspired me to make make the documentary "Proud to Be Cape Verdean," uh, a look at Cape Verdeans in the Golden State. So. Yeah, and I I thought like some of that stuff was interesting. I knew more about Cape Verdeans because um, people listening, I'm also part Cape Verdean, that's part of my culture, and Mike and I are related. Everybody, immigrants, we're all cousins, no, but we're literal cousins. Um, And what I understood 
about um, the Cape Verdean culture and that coming over to the United States. Again, we're from Massachusetts. And so there was like this transatlantic migration where a lot of, apart from, you know, slavery, a lot of Cape Verdeans had their own agency and moving from their island to the United States. But what I learned in the documentary, which I thought was interesting, is that at some point they continued that migration all the way to California. And that, that was during the gold rush, right? Yeah, there, there was like the second migration because uh, what the migration, when when, Pete, when they really started coming to the United States is after World War One. But everybody was, that's when everybody came because after World War One, which ended in 1919, all you had to do was get here. You know, that's what the Ellis Island, a lot of Cape Verdeans came right to Providence and and, and right to uh, New Bedford on, on their own ships. Um, but all you had to do was get here. It isn't like it is now. You just, I, and that's why you, you look at the migration pattern and that's when a ton of Italians showed up, a ton of Jewish people showed up. But that's when my grandfather came over here in the 20s. And that's when our great, no, our, my grandfather, your great grandfather, that's when he came in the 20s too. 20s or 30s, okay. yeah, right. And they ended up in, they were in New Bedford. Um, and that was, and so, but we, California, so yeah, they, you know, it was like a second migration. You, you know, world, the world, the world became a different place. And hey, I was the first person in my family to go to college. So it inspired me to, you know, go west, young man. And then there was other people who had come out here and then they tend to clump together. I, I ended up in the Bay Area and there was a Cape Verdean club up there and Tiny Lopes, he's kind of my my mentor. He had started that club up there. He started the club down here. And, um, you know, it's a cultural organization, but anybody could join. It's a 501C. And, and you know, the function of it, the mission statement is to perpetuate the Cape Verdean culture into the future so that we retain what we have, what we learn, because, I mean, I have memories, I have strong, vivid memories of my grandparents. I could barely understand a word they were saying because they were Cape Verdeans and they spoke, they spoke in Creole most of the time. And I would just be like, you know, yeah, sure, grandma, grandpa, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they were, they were old. So when I came around, they were already old, but they had, they were very strong in the culture. And then their children were strong in the culture. And then now my group, we're not as strong as them, but then again, I'm a different example. I am. I, I, I kind of picked up the baton. But like I said, you know, you, as time goes on, some, you know, they've, they've assimilated into, I don't even know what you call it when you say I'm an American. And, but you don't, like I said, you know, they, you see an Italian guy, but he don't have an Italian flag. He's an American guy. Now, you know, those kind of things. Or an African-American, say, well, I'm an African-American but he doesn't have the Mozambique flag or the Senegal flag or whatever. And yeah. And, and, and that, but that's what America was built on. And uh, I have to say, I, 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 I hope that changes in the future where people will focus on their legacy, you know, because I can, I, I can only go back maybe 150 years, maybe. And past that, uh, you know, what is somebody 100, 200 years from now, they're going to say, they're going to, Forget Mona and Mike because nobody kept records or did anything. Hopefully, you know what I'm saying? It'll be different where they'll, oh, yeah, Mona was a writer. And she published. And Mike, yeah, did his thing in California. We remember him. And we here's a picture of what he looks like. And here's what his resume. You want to be remembered. You don't want, you know, you don't want to be lost in time. 
<laughs> so. Exactly. And so, you know, like you said, and that was another point that your your documentary hit on too as well. Like early on, the the early Caribbeans that got here did more uh, manual labor. They they worked in bogs or farms or you know whaling. And when that died down, you know they they kept being creative and working with their hands. But that allowed later generations like yourself and myself to go to college. So my question to you is, what made you decide to? Um, apart from going west, choose film. You know, I was a journalism major, so that, so I got that. I guess that was my introduction to the universe of of um, film, television. So I I went to the University of Nevada Reno, which is like when I left, it was like, where are you going to Reno? I just wanted to get out of. I just wanted to get out of there because most of uh, most of my friends. Um, Okay, my, my mother and father were blue collar. My mother was a nurse's aide and my dad was a construction worker. Because there was tons of those kind of jobs or jobs you work in a factory or you worked in the mills. Ton of those jobs, jobs in the food industry, jobs on trains, things like that, you know, uh, with the railroad. Tons of those jobs were around. I, I don't know, I just felt like I wanted more. I, I had a bug. I said, I got to get to college. I want to be educated. I want to do something to make something in my life. And when I got to UNR, um, I was in a journalism program. Then some guy walked in and said, hey, we're doing this show called U- UNR Weekly, and we need some guys. And me and this other guy, Joe, he was my roommate. We were the only two guys that went in there. But all of a sudden, it was a local television show. It was a news pro- a news magazine geared on campus. But we were like the producers, directors, and writers of the show because we were the only ones. And by the time by the time we graduated, you couldn't get it. You couldn't get a job there anymore because it became a big hot item, big ticket, you know. Uh, and then I was able to get a job at the local KTVN as assistant director, which was the local CBS affiliate. Because even now, even now, those kind of jobs, like the, the the free job, it's hard to even in entertainment. It's hard to get a free job in entertainment now. Wow. Yeah, they, they, you know. Used to be able to go knock on a door. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so a uh, happy coincidence how you got into it. All right. Yeah. And uh, are you working on um, any any projects now that you want to share? Um, I'm actually writing a novel. I wrote a novel. You know, I'm in. I'm working with an editor, and um, you know, and it was a story that I that I that I had in me, and, and it's totally fictitious, but it's but it's based in fact. Uh, it's it's called the uh, um, the heart of South Philippe, and and South Philippe is on the island of Fogel, and the simple part of it is um, we have a young man who really had he he for whatever reason there are reasons he has not he's Cape Verdean, and he's in he has nothing to do with his culture he wants nothing to do with it but that's backstory of why he he just says you know he's basically I'm just a man man of color that's it. But he doesn't really uh, appreciate or recognize his culture. His father dies. His father's from Cape Verde. His father passes away and leaves him a valuable piece of land on Cape Verde. So this guy puts together a deal where he's going to go ahead and work with some Europeans to build one of these type of resorts. Um, and he's going to make a lot of money. So he goes to Cape Verde to seal the deal. But when he gets there, he discovers there's a 200-year-old church on the property. 
and and this what this is his family's legacy and he you know at the beginning he just doesn't care i don't care if he's going to tear down that church he's going to do whatever but if it's it's a film about a cultural awakening um you know a coming of age but it okay. but it's but it's cape verdean centric nice. right and that's okay. it yeah sometime next year you'll see it you know i'll, I'll either self-publish or i'll get a publisher or i'll do something but I feel pretty good about this, the last draft that I just cranked out and now I'm getting ready to work with an editor. So I feel pretty good about that. Okay, good. So we can always do a follow-up or I can just post something later once it does come out, let people know where yep. to find that um, as a follow-up to this, this episode. So that's, that's going to be cool. I'm excited. I actually like the premise of that story. So if you want to pass that manuscript along and I can take a sneak peek, I'd be happy to do so. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Prima. Thank you, Prima. That's a, that's cousin, and that's a female cousin in uh, or Portuguese, or but Cape Verdean is Prima. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, what was I going to say here? I guess speaking of sci-fi, we talked about this earlier. I don't know if it recorded. Um, I know you had told me earlier you were watching some Black Mirror episodes. Are there any? Um, is there any other art, like any books or plays, or I know it's hard to watch a play, especially with the pandemic, but is there any other artwork that you kind of consume that has an Afrofuturistic fantasy, magical realism, sci-fi, or what have you theme to it? No, you know what? There's nothing out there specific. It's always, like, I, I'll always go, I, I love anthology series. Mm. Even you go back to the Twilight Zone, they had a couple of uh, episodes that, were Afrocentric. If you back in the sixties, there was Rod Serling. He was groundbreaking. It was this. Oh, it was called the. Oh, it was called the Gift, and it was Ivan Dixon. He was the he was the African American in uh, Hogan's Heroes. If uh, I'm really dating myself, but but that was an Afrocentric story back in 1960, like four, where, oh, wow. and it was it was about a boxer. He was a washed up boxer, and he, his neighbor was a kid, and the kid. The kid wished that he would win. The kid wished that he would win. I want to wish. And then the episode's called The Wish. And um, you have to watch, you know, but but all through, you know, you can come up to like Black Mirror uh-huh. is uh, is a series that I've watched. And that has some Afrocentric episodes. Uh, Electric Dreams, which uh-huh. is another British um, anthology series. Philip Dick, he is the, he's a very, Famous author. He he actually um, wrote. Oh, what, what's it called? The one with Harrison Ford, um, uh, Blade Runner. Oh yeah, but, yep, yeah. He's real prolific within the sci-fi world too. He yeah, he, a lot of stories. Yeah, and this is based on. There was only ten episodes, but they were based all on his short stories because he did a lot of short stories. But there was there was a couple of. Uh, I think there, there's a couple of them that are Afrocentric. Um. And one one particular, so you were talking about this. This is a movie. I'll give you a personal recommendation that I love. This movie. Have you ever heard of White Man's Burden? I don't think so. I have to preface this though. I have the worst movie memory. Like I can see a cover. <laughs> I have watched the movie from start to finish. Forget it all together until I play it again. In the first two seconds, the entire movie floods back to me. So I'm gonna say no. But I don't even trust my own movie memory. So well, <laughs> tell me the title so, again. <laughs> it's called White Man's Burden, and and see, these are the kind of 
movies that are ahead of their time. This was a movie that Travolta, John Travolta, did after um, Pulp Fiction. Mm. And, and the premise is in, a, in an alternative America where African-Americans and white Americans have reversed cultural roles. A white factory worker kidnaps a black factory owner for dismissing him over perceived disdain. So it's basically, it's flipped. The, it's, it's black supremacy. Wow. And the, yeah. And, uh, and, it's a, and it's, it's a little bit, it's not futuristic, but it's like a minute ahead of, uh, you know, 20 years back then. This movie was made in the late 90s. So, they, you know, they, they perceive that it's just an alternative uh, America. And Harry Belafonte was the, was the, um, was the black factory owner. But see, those are the kind of stories that, you know, you want to see just it's something, you know, and it, it was a good movie. But those are the kind of movies, you know, that you, that I'd like to see because they're different and it's Afrocentric. It, it shows what could be, uh, but it's still fictitious. So it's escapism, but it was still good. No, that's true. But, yeah, they flip basically the race dynamics on its head yeah. and what we're used yeah. to. They spin right. it. No, I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm sure I can find it on some type of streaming program. Um, and speaking of Twilight Zone, uh, you know, Jordan Peele has been oh, really, yeah. you know, making his mark in the pop culture and like film, film world. And he actually, I think he redid Twilight Zone. So two, he created, two seasons. I don't know, I think, huh? Two seasons worth. Exactly. So. That's already yep. there. Like he's kind of creating that content that we want to see in Afrofuturism, like Us. Is it, that's the movie, right? Us and yep. then um, yep. Get Out and yep. um, Twilight Zone. So he's he's kind of bringing that to the forefront again. And even Lovecraft Country. Can we talk about how they canceled uh, like an upcoming season? Did you see the first season or the first two? No, seasons of Lovecraft Country? I, I did oh. not see that, but I know it got canceled. I know. You have yeah. to watch it. That's my recommendation for you. Okay. To see I will. the two seasons of that. Okay. Yeah, he's a good one. That's a good example because you do have these up and coming filmmakers that are getting, that are getting a chance. And now with the, uh, to me, there's been a cultural awakening. It's going to take a minute, but I'd say in the next five years, you're going to see a lot more Afrocentric content. That's for sure. I believe so. Yeah, it seems like. Even though Afrofuturism, that concept kind of exploded in the early 90s, I, I was just looking this up, like black exploitation and that concept of, you know, African-Americans being showcased in pop culture more so at the forefront and not playing these supportive or um, detrimental roles. Like that was what, like 1972 or like the early 1970s. Yeah. And then 20 yeah. years later. So again, like that forward movement, then there was Afrofuturism and they were starting to define and develop what that is. And now, uh, maybe what, 20 years, 20 years from that, which is pretty much now, right? Um, yeah. Afrofuturism kind of circled back and is, it's, not that it's they're redefining it, but they're they're shaping it in a way where it's more prevalent and people can see it more. Like there's more of a, a tangible reference to it, um, and before it was kind of like under the radar. So it's interesting to see how that wave is happening. And I think you're right. I think in the next five years, 
is going to explode because it's already been trending upward. And I, I don't think just because it's popular, but maybe like you said, there is a cultural awakening and it's just the opportune moment to showcase all of these things. And that's why I wanted to bring you on and continue to bring other people on to show like when I, when I think of the definition black, like if you, instead of saying you're African-American, a lot of people, I myself say I'm black, right? But for me, that just is an umbrella term because it embodies so many different cultures because we're so mixed. And right. like you said, the community's larger, so you're not in these pockets anymore. So not only am I Cape Verdean, but I'm also Jamaican, but there may be somebody who's Cape Verdean and, you know, just white right. American or anything else. There's so many, there's infinite possibilities, honestly. And so I think it's nice to showcase that and how it may look in the future i don't think we're going to be so blended that it's undefined but it's nice to try to preserve all those little aspects that make up us as individuals and who we you know define ourselves as a whole does that make sense yes it does it does and uh yeah you're seeing you're gonna you're seeing young filmmakers authors artists poets they're getting an opportunity they're getting more opportunity and even even if there is there, even if it isn't a level playing ground, it's more of a playing ground. So that's why you're going to see more. And, you know, the, the cream does always rise to the top. I mean, it just does. And you're going to see. And now now because, and i got to say, the pandemic exposed this. Man, there is so much content out there right now. And, they're, and they are so thirsty for content. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not going to make a difference. If it's good content, they, they're going to put it out there. That's true. A lot of underdogs are gonna gonna make their way out because, like you said, there's so many opportunities and they just need content faster than I guess they've ever needed it. Right? We're just consuming so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I've got all the Prime and Netflix, HBO Max. I mean, it's just YouTube, uh, Amazon. I mean, there's so much stuff out there, and these these entities are producing original content they're not just recycling old stuff they're, they're producing brand new content which is a good opportunity for talented people exactly no and I, that's what i definitely wanted to see too because sometimes it gets a little stale like i saw some older movies that were remade like i really like jim henson films because that's how i you know what i grew up with but right. they remade one of his movies the witches and they remixed it it had octavia uh, spencer in there um, so they had some, you know, African American or you know Afro descended characters in there, but I felt like even though it was well intentioned, they kind of missed something in that. I'm not sure if you saw the remake, and I just liked the older one better. And I'm just like, okay, you know, instead of remaking an older movie and not executing it that well, they right. should have just created something new altogether. I think I would have preferred that. So. Yeah, see, they're going. They're going for the baby boomer bucks, is what it is, too. You know, because <laughs> now, what's happening now? It's uh, we're going through the biggest transference of wealth that's ever happened, ever, because the the baby boomers are becoming, they're in, they're inheriting wealth from their parents, but we so we got all the money supposedly, <laughs> you know the baby boomers do. Um, I qualify as a baby boomer, and yeah, my father passed away a couple of years ago. So I mean, it, it, but then again, African Americans are just beginning to enjoy that perk, if you want to call it a perk, because mm-hmm. in the past, 
I mean, my grandparents didn't get anything from their parents. And I know your grandparents didn't get nothing from their parents. And you might get something from your parents and your kids are going to get something from you. But but uh, non-African Americans, they've been doing that for four or five hundred years. They've been passing stuff, passing stuff down. We're just starting to see the light of day. Mm. So that's how you so that's yeah. a perfect point too. Like maybe again, like I I don't know how how much you plan on you know creating more um, content yourself for you know or you know writing screenplays or what have you. But maybe that's something. A lot of conversations that I hear nowadays as well amongst you know marginalized groups is building that generational wealth. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Like yeah. maybe we could see it in the future in a way where it's like. You know, not that it's kings and queens, but you got what feels like royalty money. You know, you, you've built so much of it that, you know, your generation and all the generations, but, but you know, that follow you are going to be good. So I think I, I'm just playing around with some ideas right now, but sure. that's what I was thinking of when I was looking at um, the documentary and then migrating to, to the West um, in the gold rush. And I'm like, what if it, what if we took it a whole different level? Like, where they go into space to mine some type of special metals or whatever, like, and then it comes back to the marginalized groups and they're building this generational wealth. I don't know, but yeah. it would just be nice to to see see how how we could build that and and main and retain that. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So speaking of that, on that crazy note with me, just brainstorming all this futuristic weird stuff. Uh, if you could take one personal item on a space excursion since we're talking about going out of space and mining, mining some minerals so we can build generational wealth, what would you take with you? Picture of my kids. Oh, wow. Just, you like, you, just like you would. <laughs> I hope I'd be that sweet. I'm like, oh, you make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> uh, uh. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. See now my movie movie memory is failing me because there's another movie that just came out against so much content. Yeah. If I remember it, I'll. I'll, I'll if you tell, you know what? I, I'm a movie buff. If you uh, if you tell me anything about this movie, I could probably tell you what movie it was. Okay. Well, it was a recent movie where. Um, oh my gosh, it was a well-known actress, but it's like three people were supposed to go into space, but this black guy was stowed away. Um, in the space shuttle, he was doing some mechanics and I guess it took off without realizing he was still in there. So he didn't even have the proper gear. So he had passed out obviously during, um, when they left space and then he, they realized, oh my God, he's here. He must've fell out of whatever compartment he was in. And it threw off everything because they had only rationed enough for those three people. I think it had Daniel Day Kim in it. And I can't remember. Was it called Throwaway? Because I, I, was it on Netflix? It could have been. Let me see. Because uh, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, IMDb is always the good uh, website to go for movies and TV stuff. International Movie Database. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was actually called Stowaway. Look at that. You're right. Okay, I I know I saw I saw because the ad has an African American guy sitting with the background of space, and it's called Stowaway. Yep, exactly. So that's almost along the same lines again I am really challenging myself with my poor movie memory but I'm glad you you had you on it <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, I'll, I'll get around oh, to that movie and I, I just watched a movie called the the tomorrow man 
That was Chris Platt's new movie. And, you know, that's a vehicle for him. But I must tell you, almost every one of his co-stars was African-American, which does bring up the specter of, okay, he's the white guy who saved the world. But still, there was a lot. There was a good format. And, and they weren't presented as they were the, the black friend. They were just friends or they co, co-soldiers that happened to be black, which is... Exactly, normalizing it. No, you're right. I did see it. It's the Tomorrow War. I was so excited for that. Yeah. And it had really great cinematography, too. I, I didn't realize did. that before watching that, that Chris Chris McKay had directed it, and he did, like, Lego Batman, but it's not on the same level. But that was that. The cinematography yeah, I, in that movie was amazing. It was. I, 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 kinda, I, I enjoyed it. You know, like I said, the only thing is you could say it had the specter of saying, okay, these white folks are going to save the world. But that's just me reading into it, but it still was a good movie. I like I like Chris Pratt. He's funny and he's and he and he sells it. You know, all his action stuff. But I I enjoyed that movie. Exactly. No. Yep. You're right with all of that. Um, yeah. So I kind of you know I don't have really any other questions to ask you um, apart from you know if you could see somebody else on this podcast, who would you like to see? Oh. I don't know. Um, I'd say, oh, you could. Hey, try to get try to get Michael Beach. Oh well. Or, or try to get Anika Nani Rose. Mm. They're both Cape Verdeans. That's true. He was actually just in Aquaman. That's the last movie that I can remember him being in. He was the, like the bad guy, the father and son duo. Yep, yep. And um, you know, then you got some people that are. Who knows how long they'll be with us? Like. Like Danny Glover or Belafonte is still around. Uh, Sidney Poitier is still around. Sidney Poitier is still alive? Yes, he is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he certainly is. So, I mean, you know, you you could get a good perspective from, hey, tell me what what it was like back in the day. You know, I mean, it's probably some horror stories or some things, but (laughs) still, they opened doors for us or... You you know if you could Denzel Washington he's and or or his son John John David Washington I mean the, the, those guys are excellent people to get on and uh, or Regina Regina King, King. yeah you know I used to see her in my neighborhood all the time somehow she was connected to a kid that was in the rec center where my kids went to <laughs> oh wow yeah I wow. don't see her anymore but yeah she's a big deal now. Yeah, she's killing it. And she's, yeah. she's, there's some movies coming out with her. I think in Idris Elba. I'm like yeah. excited for all the movies coming out. I'm like, I have to like put them in my calendar because I'm like, I can't keep track. Like you said, all this constant uh, yeah. content just being created. It's hard to keep up. Yeah, she did a great job with, uh, what, A Night in Miami? Ooh, that was great. Yeah. And Watchmen, too. I don't know. That's kind of like Afrofuturistic as well. So yeah. yeah. if you haven't had a chance to check that out, that's another one. Yeah, I know. It's on the list. <laughs> the you know? long list. <laughs> yeah, boy, I tell you. Uh, but, um, oh, this is great talking to you. I'm so proud of you. I know everybody is. And, uh, you know, you're just, you're a dynamo. You're doing it. I appreciate, I appreciate you coming on. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow hollow moon the podcast on social media you can listen to the podcast on spotify leave a voice message on anchor listen through google podcasts breaker 
and more. You can also follow us on Twitter at Podcast Hollow, on Instagram and Facebook at Hollow Moon X, or you can leave a comment on the blog, which is hollowmoonpublishing.wordpress.com. I look forward to uh, all your feedback and comments, and I, I want to know what Afrofuturism means to you. Please share, and don't be shy to share your feedback as well. I love to hear your thoughts. Um, I look forward to continuing to engage with this community. Apart from that, enjoy your weekend. Peace.